You are Locked On Packers, your daily Green Bay Packers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We said four quarters, all gas, no break. You guys did that today. Hell of a job. R-E-L-A-X. Relax. We're going to be okay. It is time. It is time. You are Locked On Packers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am Peter Bukowski, and I cover the Packers for SB Nation and Packer Report. I cover the NFL around the internet, and you can follow me on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked On Packers. You can like us on Facebook. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, on Spotify, on Google Podcasts, wherever you find podcasts, you will find Locked On Packers, the number one Packers podcast on the internet. And the show for fans who know what happened, they want to know why and how. Locked on Packers is brought to you by Built Bar, the best tasting protein bar ever. Use the promo code Locked On to get $10 off your first Built Box order. David Harrison, co-host of Locked on Bucks, is on the show today to talk about one of the most fascinating teams of the offseason, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. First, it was Tom Brady. Then it was Rob Gronkowski, and now they are being viewed as a potential NFC favorite. Is that fair? Something we are going to talk about at length on today's show. But first, I want to get into something interesting from ESPN yesterday. They did a little bit of a roundtable, and they looked at the free agents around the league and tried to place them with... They're the ideal player landing spot. So you take a player and you say, okay, where is the ideal fit for that player? According to ESPN's Matt Bowen, Taylor Gabriel, his perfect fit is in Green Bay. According to ESPN's Field Yates, Snacks Harrison's perfect fit is also in Green Bay. And what's interesting is I think fan perception of the offseason and media perception of the offseason, and maybe even player perception of the offseason in terms of how the the Packers themselves view what went on over the course of the last few weeks and months would change if the Packers signed these players. Now, after signing Devin Funchess, I think the Packers essentially decided it was Funchess over Gabriel. They certainly could have made a deal for Gabriel had they wanted to at the time, and he would not have counted against their comp pick selection. At any point, he could have been signed. He could still be signed. I don't know that if you're going to pay a veteran, he is considerably more reliable than Devin Funches. Certainly, he's a different skill set. His ability to get down the field is different than most of the Packers receivers outside of Marquez Valdez-Scantling, who has not proven to be a reliable player in this offense, at least on any kind of consistent basis. There's flashes, and he can make splash plays, but he fell out of the rotation last year, seemed to lose his confidence a little bit, and this is going to be a huge season for him in 2020. It does seem like Funchess over Gabriel was a conscious decision when they made that deal, and so that part of it I don't think is likely. That said... The Damon Harrison part could very well still be a thing that happens. And one of the reasons that 
the Packers or any team has chosen not to sign some of these guys is at this point in free agency we're talking about non-high-impact players, non-priority players. This is after second-wave free agency. This is now third, fourth, even fifth wave if you really want to get down to it, that level of free agency. And so you're not going to risk signing a player without getting a physical. Now, of course, it's not going to be much money. You can get Snacks Harrison on the minimum. You can get Taylor Gabriel on the minimum probably, especially in the case of Harrison playing for a potential Super Bowl team. But the COVID-19 outbreak has prevented teams from vetting their players. In fact, there are contracts that were reported weeks ago that are still not done done because those players have not had physicals. So this is something that is holding back this process. Damon Harrison did not play his best last year in part because he was hurt. Cam Newton is not on a team in part because team doctors at potential destinations have not been able to get their hands on Cam. That could last for weeks, even months longer. And so it depends on a team's risk aversion. It depends on the team's appetite to add a player. Let's just say it's just snacks. Let's just say that's the only player the Packers bring in because I do think the Funches signing has been slept on a little bit. Harrison brings the kind of early down run stopping that the Packers could really use. And they don't need him to rush the passer. It's not what he's great at. He can come in and play first down, second down, third and short and give the Packers what they could really benefit from in a run-stuffing interior defensive lineman. That's the ideal, to get someone cheap and someone that you can reliably believe is going to be effective along that interior. It would really solidify the last piece that I think a lot of fans have, have worried about in terms of how this team needs to improve. They went out and they did add a veteran receiver. They drafted a, a tight end who is going to be a part of the passing game, and they drafted a running back who is going to make it easier to involve Aaron Jones in the passing game. So they, they took steps to bolster the weapons on offense. They took steps to backfill two positions that they were losing veteran players at, inside linebacker and right tackle. And if you sign Harrison, you are bolstering a team that needs help along the defensive interior. You've addressed in some form or fashion, not with field tilters, but in some form or fashion, every major hole that this team had. How does the perception change if that's the case? Now, what I find interesting about that question is Harrison was not a great player last year. So what level of player does he need to be in 2020 to make it a, a shame or a travesty or it's something getting work, worth getting worked up over for the Packers not to sign him? If Harrison would fundamentally alter the way you view this offseason, is it really the case that it is necessary to sign him for you to feel that same way? This is the question that I think we need to be asking ourselves. Damon Harrison is an early down, run-stuffing defensive lineman. He doesn't affect the passing game in a meaningful way. 
not on any kind of consistent basis. Now, what he does do is on first down, he can prevent it from being second and four. Instead, it's second and seven. And now you have to pass instead of being able to run or pass. That provides offenses with a lot fewer options. And that's important to be sure. But they could get that same level of productivity or let's say 80% of it from Kingsley Kiki taking a step forward or Trayvon Hester coming in from the Eagles and playing like the player we saw him be two years ago or Montrevious Adams finally taking the step forward that he needs to take. Now, are those things likely? No, they're not. But the point that I'm making is if one player who is at this point a rotational defensive lineman, someone who's going to play 35, 40% of snaps, who is not going to affect the passing game, who's not going to pressure quarterbacks, who's not going to create pressures and sacks, how much should he really impact the way you view this offseason? I think that is a more appropriate question. Would the Packers be better with Snacks Harrison? No question. No question. So this is not uh, any sort of diatribe to say, hey, don't sign him. But it is a way of saying, look, if they don't sign him, it's not the end of the world if the reason is, well, they, they didn't get a chance to evaluate him medically, and that medical question is pretty big, considering he was in tears at the end of the season in Detroit for the way that he played, felt like he had let his team down, let himself down. That guy, the consummate professional, someone who had embraced his role, embraced his team in Detroit, they let him go. They let him walk. That raises pretty serious red flags about his health, his availability, and his commitment to playing this season. We don't even know if he wants to play this season for sure. He was non-committal at the end of last year. Now the reporting is that he does want to play, but it could be the kind of thing a few years ago where Jari Evans seemed like he wanted to play, and then it turned out that you know some teams called and he sort of said, no, I'm good, and maybe only for the perfect situation. Maybe the Packers aren't that situation. But again, it, it really raises this question about if that's the guy that would make you suddenly satisfied about the offseason, how much closer are the Packers to having an offseason that you would find satisfactory than maybe you're willing to admit at this point? Now, certainly, if, if signing snacks would just be like, yeah, okay, I would feel better because they did something there, that's a different conversation. Certainly, that's a different conversation, and I think that is a very fair and reasonable stance to hold in this case. I would have, I would have said, hey, Taylor Gabriel, Snacks Harrison, all of these guys, it's easy to sign, it's easy to cut, bring them on. COVID or no COVID, it's going to cost basically nothing to come in and, and provide something in training camp, and if it doesn't work out, you can be cut with pretty minimal damage on the salary cap. Is a backup guard like Lane Taylor worth not having those guys? Maybe, maybe not. And the Packers are having to make those decisions right now. When it comes to your decisions about which protein bars to buy, what healthy food you are eating in quarantine, there really is no decision. The decision is Built Bar, the best tasting protein bar ever. One of the hardest things to do in quarantine is to not just eat because you're bored. I find myself doing this all the time. Ugh, I'm, ugh, I'm bored. I've scrolled through Twitter for the millionth time. I've finished the work that I wanted to do. Oh, I'll eat something. And if you have chips in your house, if you have 
candy or you have ice cream or you have some sort of garbage, it's going to be a thing that you're going to want to do. It's going to be a thing that pulls you toward it. Well, what if that thing that tasted so delicious were also good for you? And that is Built Bar. It is the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. 16 amazing flavors, and they're all covered in 100% chocolate. They're soft and easy to chew, not like the, the grainy, granuly protein bars you're used to. Right now, go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON, and you'll get $10 off your first order. Use promo code LOCKEDON for $10 off at BuiltBar.com. And if you are looking to make an impact on more than just your own eating habits, the Army is the place where you can do that. Whether your goal is to fight and cure diseases, develop technologies, or seek adventures across the globe, the Army is where all of that can happen and so much more. The Army is a team of a million individuals working together to take on the most complex problems in the nation and the world and to win. Ask yourself, what's your warrior? And text ALPL to 462769 to find out. That's ALPL to 462769. All right, let's get to our conversation with David Harrison. He is the co-host of Locked on Bucks. You can follow him on Twitter at DH82 underscore B-U-C-K. David, thanks for being with me on Locked on Packers. Oh, of course, Peter. Thank you for uh, for having me on. Looking forward to seeing these two teams face off against each other once again. Yeah, I, the thing is, is I'm, I'm struggling because, you know, we're sitting here in May talking about these teams, and I'm going back looking at the transactions for the Buccaneers, and, and I can't find really anything of note to talk about. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, fortunately in the in these times that hasn't been a big problem for us this offseason. Uh, Tom Brady becoming a Buccaneer happened like three years ago, didn't it? I mean, this it seems like forever ago. Plus, it seemed like even before it happened that there was the rumor that it was going to happen or that it could happen. And I have to be honest with you, David, it was the landing spot that seemed least likely to me. Yeah, I mean, I think once you know once the 2019 season wrapped up, uh, I think. Most people, you know, in, in January and probably into February would have expected the Buccaneers to bring back Jameis Winston. Uh, but then as you kind of really went through everything that had happened in the five years that Jameis was with the team and everything that Bruce Arians kind of stood for and was talking about, uh, you kind of started getting those those little hand tips from the organization that that probably wasn't going to be the case. So when the national media really caught on to Tom Brady leaving the Pats, because I'll admit, initially, I just never really envisioned a world where Tom Brady actually left New England. Uh, but you start looking at the landscape of the NFL and outside of Tampa, Florida, not being Los Angeles, because I know a lot of people thought that he might just want to be in L.A. a la LeBron James. Uh, really, the Buccaneers seemed like the best fit in my mind, uh, as much as I could come across from an unbiased standpoint, uh, looking, you know, being so close to the Bucs. But I mean, at the end of the day, you know, all the all the chips fell into place and Tom wanted to be in Tampa just as much as Tampa wanted him. And and here we go. And hopefully we'll we'll be in for a fun ride in 2020. Here's why I was I was dubious. Number one, um, it's not the best offensive line situation that I think he could have gone to, and, and that certainly plays a role. Bruce Arians likes to play a kind of football that Tom Brady hasn't played really since 2007 when he had you know prime Randy Moss. He doesn't like to just sit and wait and make throws with guys in his face. He wants to get the ball out quickly, and Tampa doesn't really have that kind of receiver. So... As we look at what this offense is going to look like, yeah, they bring in Rob Gronkowski. Of course, we're going to talk about Gronk. 
but how much does this offense bend to Tom Brady's will versus how much does he bend to the will of Arians and the skill set of these receivers? Mike Evans and Chris Godwin are guys who can get you chunk plays down the field. Yeah, you know, during during the offseason buildup, there was a lot of conversation about how much control Tom Brady really wanted with the team that he went to. And that's something that's been brought up to Jason Light and Bruce Arians both since, you know, Brady signed with the team and just how much influence or control he's going to have. And Jason's kind of been on, you know, on record saying, you know, it is it's not like a situation where Tom Brady came in and said, Hey, listen, if I'm gonna join your team, you're gonna draft this guy, you're gonna sign that guy, anything like that. But it's just they both they all kind of just sat down, you know, as three football smart people. And said, here's how we view the team. Here's how you fit. Here's how we fit. And here's where we want to go from there. And let's see if we're on the same page. And they are. Uh, I think the the first round investment in Tristan Wirfs is kind of a sign towards that of making sure that Tom Brady is as comfortable as his offensive line can possibly make him. And I really feel like this offensive line has the potential to take that next step forward and become kind of a top half of the league unit. Uh, obviously, the amount of OTAs, the amount of training camp they can get in is going to play a big role in that, especially putting a rookie on that right side. But you know, if if everything works out well and if they can get together and get in the, in the classroom and study and, and work together, that those five guys up front can do enough of a job where Tom Brady can put his mark on this offense. And I think that's kind of where the Rob Gronkowski signing comes in as well. Bruce does like to take shots. He does like to, you know, the seven-step drop, sit in the pocket for a few seconds, let stuff develop downfield. But I think at the end of the day, Bruce Aaron is just, he's a smart guy. He's a, he's a football guy who wants to win football games. And something he pointed out too after the offseason is, Last year in their offense, and really in his offense over the time he's been a coach, it's not like there's never a check down or never a hot read. In fact, early in the season, we actually saw a couple of miscommunications that led to interceptions that most of us didn't blame on Jameis because they were miscommunications where Jameis called a hot read, he called a hot route, and the receiver ran the wrong route, broke at the wrong point, something like that, growing pains. Um, so those those elements are in a Bruce Arians system. And I think with Tom Brady coming in, he's going to look at the the landscape of the weapons they have guys like Scotty Miller and Tyler Johnson, who they got in the draft as well, and be able to make the smart decision based off of what the defense is showing them. I think the other question that that we have to ask here when we look at, okay, how much does Tom Brady improve this team over Jameis Winston was, last year Tom Brady didn't play great, and and not just didn't play great by Tom Brady standards, didn't play great. I mean, didn't probably played some pretty average football. So when you're looking at it for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers is, you know, much better weapons than he had last year. Um, and, you know, you're, you're talking about a, a rejuvenated Tom Brady, all of those sort of intangible things. How much do you think situation uh, and circumstance can elevate him based on what we saw the last few years from Brady? Because this was really not a one-year drop in play. We're talking about at least two years in in a, a clear drop-off in his level of play. Yeah, I mean, I think some of that has to do with how much the Patriots put on Tom's shoulders and and the weapons they did or didn't put around him. You know, um, I kind of you know early in the offseason, I kind of when the when the whole when all the Gronk stuff really kind of started coming up, you know, people it was mostly just speculation. People saying, "Oh, well, now that Tom is moving, would Gronk be interested in coming back?" And there really weren't any any there really weren't any teeth to those types of conversations yet. You know, I, I had a conversation with my co-host James Jarko on our show about how if the situation in New England was one where the franchise, you know, through, through whatever means, was basically saying, hey, look, Tom, you're the GOAT. Hey, look, Rob, you're the one of the greatest tight ends to ever play. Hey, Julian, you're one of the best slot receivers in the game today. You three need to make this thing happen with the pieces we give you. Don't expect us to bring you in another Randy Moss or what have you. If that really is kind of the situation that was going on there, then it would make sense for Rob to kind of look at his career and say, listen, I'm getting really banged up. You're putting a whole lot of weight on just the three of us. 
I love you guys, but I can't keep putting myself through this. I'm going to step away and I'm going to back out. And then you look at Tom and again, going, going back and look at what he was seeking out in the offseason. He's no, he wasn't looking for a team that was mediocre, you know, poor. And he's like, I'm going to come take your Brandon LaFell and make him a Super Bowl champion. No, what he was looking for was a team that was playoff caliber on paper, but just needed that driver to get behind the wheel and really know how to steer that machine. And I think that's what he's found in Tampa. So the situation is a lot better. And then Rob coming back so quickly after Tom signed with Tampa kind of reinforces my belief that some of that departure, you know, is is more related to how much that franchise was really wanting those key characters to carry on their shoulders and less about physical ability. You know, Tom's getting older. As every player gets older, they need those role players to step up more. They kind of need to, to not be the main guy to hold up the pillars, so to speak. And I think that's where Tom is now, but he's in a position where he can do he can lean on other people to help him make plays, but he can also make enough to where people are going to give him credit either way. <laughs> so let's you you touched on the Gronk stuff. So I actually want to flip to the defensive side of the ball because this is a this is a place where I don't think the Buccaneers have gotten enough credit. Obviously, we know Shaq Barrett last year, the kind of season that he had. Uh, Devin White got off to a little bit of a slow start, but by the end of the year, I think was playing at a much higher level. And then, you know, a guy like Vita Vea. He, he really uh, came on and started doing some impressive things. Levante David has always, I think, been an underrated guy. When you oh, look yeah. at this defense, was last year you know, just the tip of the iceberg or was last year a, a circumstance where they were, they were really playing above their heads? What is, what is your take on that? I think early on you, just, you saw a very young unit that had a lot of new players and new parts of it uh, coming together and just trying to learn a new system and, and learn how to independently do their job, relying on the other guys to do their job. And I think that's really the kind of the hardest part of playing defense. You know, as, as, a, as a human being, you see kind of a problem happening and you kind of have a natural instinct, especially when you're one of those alpha-type personalities, to take action and to help it well. If your responsibility is a deep zone in the middle middle part of the field and you see the guy who's supposed to have that under coverage slip off or you know sl- or slip on the grounders, make a bad read or whatever, your natural instinct is to be like, oh, no, that hole is being opened. I want to go and cover that. Next thing you know, Brandon Cooks is running on top of you for a 70-yard touchdown because your zone is now vacated. So trust in that unit and trust in how they play is a big part of it. And in a Todd Bowles defense, he's so aggressive that if one guy is out of, out of position – or one guy's out of position, so this guy leaves his position to fill that position, that's a huge hole in the defense and a big gap that an offense can take advantage of. And when you're playing against guys like you know Kyle Shanahan and Jimmy Garoppolo with their offensive uh, schemes and, and how intelligent Kyle is as a coach and Drew Brees in your division, uh, even a guy like Teddy Bridgewater, whose football IQ is through the roof, you can't have those mistakes. As the season went on, really the turning point was Seattle when, when Russell Wilson just destroyed this defense, uh, specifically Jamel Dean. That was kind of the turning point where I think Coach Bowles was able to look at those young guys and they were able to look inwards and say, look, we've got to trust each other because when we're just kind of playing on our heels and we're just kind of reacting to what we see and, and getting outside the scheme, this is what's going to happen when we face guys like DJ Metcalf and, and Tyler Lockett and, and Russell Wilson. We can't continue doing that. And that's when you really kind of saw that shift. And I think they grew into what I would consider probably a top 20, maybe top 18 defense by the end of the year. Now, again, if they can come back and put in some more work and build off of that, then I think they can get into the top half of the league. Uh, there are some people around this team, close to this team, who believe this defense can grow into a top 10 defense in the National Football League this year. I think they have that potential, but I think that's probably, if I'm being honest, that's probably the ceiling this year is if they reach maximum potential in 2020, you're probably looking at a top 10 unit. Most likely, you're probably looking at a top 15. 
Football Outsiders, defense-adjusted value over average DVOA had them as the fifth best defense in football last year. Just something that I don't think the ca- the, the average fan was paying much attention to was that defense last year. I, I, I really like this unit. You mentioned the corners, and that's how I want to sort of wrap up this discussion. If there's one spot on this defense where I feel like, okay, you can, you can a- attack them a little bit. I look at what Atlanta can put on the field with their receivers. I look at Carolina and their division. Um, and, and New Orleans obviously can create all kinds of matchup problems. And then they're going to face teams like Seattle if they're going to be NFC playoff contenders. They're going to face the Cowboys and the Packers with these with these offenses and quarterbacks who can hurt you. So do they have enough in the secondary, particularly at cornerback, to match up with these teams? Yeah, I think they do. Um, I, I was on the on the ship or you know on the side of the conversation where I kind of wanted them to go and look for a veteran addition. A guy like Logan Ryan was kind of attractive to me. Or maybe if they didn't go free agency, maybe get one of these top cornerbacks in the draft uh, you know, on day two that was going to be available. They didn't go that way. They did address the free safety position with Antoine Winfield Jr., which uh, free safety in the secondary was my biggest concern. At cornerback, though, Carlton Davis, you know, early in the season, coming into the regular season, my concern with him was going to be pass interference. He's a very physical guy, and I was just kind of wondering how much that was going to show and how many flags he might get as being targeted from these offenses. And honestly, early in the season, I would say the first eight games, uh, the penalties were really becoming a problem, but he was able to settle down, kind of able to, to to get that under control. And towards the back half of the season, we really saw a lot of improvement there. Jamel Dean, again, kind of came into his own. Sean Murphy Bunting had a really rough training camp early part of the season. Again, another guy who grew. So I think these guys, the, I think the one big thing they have is, again, trusting each other, trusting what they've been taught, because now they're seeing that what they're being taught is going to work for them on the field. And the fact that Todd Bowles didn't get stolen away as a head coach somewhere, uh, and is coming back for another year is going to be huge for the growth of this unit. But really, at the end of the day, I think a lot of the success of that young cornerback group was predicated on the return of Jason Pierre-Paul and the pass rush that those guys were able to get with Shaq Barrett, Levante David, Devin White, like you talked about, Vita Vey and Dominic and Sue kind of controlling that line of scrimmage. The fact that they got their front seven back completely intact, they're all going to be healthy. JPP, you know, knock on wood, but he shouldn't have a neck injury, you know, entering the season where it caused him to miss the first chunk of the year. Devin White isn't going to have you know tonsillitis issues and then hurt his knee on his first game back from that surgery. Uh, if if that unit can get back onto the field again, that's going to be the big thing. Is with everything going on, is when can they get back into the lab and start working? Then yeah, I think they have enough. And if their quarterback can go out there and put points on the board while keeping possessions where it belongs, uh, not giving possessions away to the other team, then yeah, I think they've got more than enough to make a playoff push. Todd Bowles, one of my favorite defensive coaches in the oh, league. Yeah. Uh, I think he is also incredibly underrated. I, he got a, a raw deal in New York, if you ask me. All right, I want to thank David again for joining the show. Great to talk to him. A lot of good insight in there. And and frankly, I don't think the Bucks are going to be as good as Las Vegas does or as a lot of media pundits do. I think it's going to be frankly, uh, a bit of a disaster, to be honest, because when you mix in expectations with players that I think are unlikely to meet those expectations, I don't think Tom Brady is going to be significantly better than he was last year. And that's going to create a lot of questions, especially with the latest reports. We talked about them yesterday and the friction with Josh McDaniels. Of course, Brady said, oh, no, that's nonsense. That's BS. I mean, what else is he going to say? Aaron Rodgers denied all of the reporting around his relationship to the team last year, and no one seemed to believe him. 
yet Tom Brady gets the benefit of the doubt. All right, we don't have to fall down that rabbit hole again. Tomorrow we finish up our NFC South crossover with Locked on Panthers. A really interesting offseason for them. New ownership, new coach, new quarterback, all sorts of interesting things to talk about there. So that'll be a fun conversation as well. And we're also going to discuss a piece from earlier in the week from Peter King with uh, with Dr. Tony Fauci about how the NFL could reopen, what it might look like, what would need to happen, and, and what we can expect moving forward. So I, I think that's a really interesting and necessary perspective as we look toward what kind of season we might have in 2020 in the NFL. We might not have a college football season. There are going to be a lot of schools that don't play. It looks like the Pac-12 college campuses aren't even going to be open. Are they going to continue to have college athletics? That seems pretty unlikely. So a lot of questions there. The NFL might be the only show in town, and it might cause the supplemental draft to blow up. We'll see what happens there, of course. Anything breaking we will get to on the show. That's the beauty of a daily show. Even in the offseason, we've always got you covered. Remember, for those breaking updates, the latest, the, the live commentary as it happens, follow me on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked on Packers. Like us on Facebook. You can subscribe to the podcast, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you find podcasts. You will find Locked on Packers in any time. You want to hit us up on the Locked On Packers fan hotline, you can do that, 920-341-3775 to stay Locked On Packers.